You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Several weeks ago, we looked at Jesus being hungry. Hmm. I haven't had breakfast this morning. I can identify with his hunger. But his hunger took him to a fig tree. And when he saw the fig tree and he came up to the fig tree, it was in full leaf, but there was no fruit on the fig tree. And he said to it, may no one eat of your fruit ever again. Hmm. The disciples heard him say that. And then we continue in the Gospel of Mark through chapter 11, and, and we see that he goes into the temple and he cleanses the te- temple. No, he just makes a mess of the temple. Matter of fact, he, he does a prophetic act that lets us know that, that judgment, that the, the temple's day is coming to an end. Just as the fig tree was not in the right season, because Mark tells us it wasn't the season for figs, And the word that he uses for season there is kairos, which we find at the beginning of chapter 1 of Mark that says it is the right time. It's the proper time. It's the appropriate time for the Son, the Messiah, to come and to release the kingdom of God. And so the temple, who's been functioning as a place, a a place where there was intimacy, communion, fellowship, forgiveness of sins. There was the place where the people came. They turned their affections. They brought their sacrifices. That's how they connected with God. And it's like, here's the temple. Its season has come to an end because it's no longer serving the purpose for which it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the place where God's people could come. But now we find that it's become a merchandising place that the Gentiles who couldn't even come in any further than just the, the outer courts is where all the commotion, where all the selling of, of livestock and the changing of money for the temple tax, everything that took place. And <clears throat> Jesus in a prophetic act of the fig tree is showing that the time has come for the kingdom. And they have not recognized the Messiah. They have not recognized Jesus as the chosen one, the holy and anointed one, the son of God. And so as a result, he's showing through this fig tree a symbolic expression of what's about to happen in the earth. And so we pick up our reading at verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. 
so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive what the Spirit is saying to the church. For we ask it in his name. So day two, or three, if you count the, the triumphal in, in, entry as, as day one, but it was evening, and so he just did some reconnaissance of the temple and then went back out. Day one, the fig tree gets cursed. Day two, in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. This is not the normal withering process of a tree, of a bush, of a plant. And so here, Peter remembers, and he says to Jesus, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now what we see here is a miracle. And there's really no explanation about it. Jesus doesn't stop and tell everybody what the significance is of this fig tree having withered. But Mark, in his gospel, has positioned it so that we'll see the symbolism. We'll see the significance. The significance of the withered fig tree is that the temple has <laughs> not just been cleansed. It hasn't been adjusted. It's been judged. The temple is no longer the place where people go to meet with God. <clears throat> but now we discover that Jesus uses this as an opportunity to have, have faith in God. And then he goes on to qualify what he means by having faith in God. So Jesus answered, have faith in God, and I tell you the truth. And whenever you see, this is a rabbinic way of introducing that what they're about to say is truly significant. So wake up, pay attention. Jesus is about to tell us something very, very important. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. We take this little passage and we say, faith that will move mountains. We, we, we get our little mottos and, and we're talking. But he's talking about this mountain. This is the mountain on which the temple is. And he's saying, if you say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's judged the temple. He's judged the temple and the mountain on which the temple resides. He's saying, be thrown into the sea. Go. And believe it. And does not doubt in his heart. The place of doubt is very, very important here. And today I will teach you how to get rid of all doubts in your heart. It's real easy to say. It's not as easy to do. <clears throat> but believes that what he says will happen. He believes. So how do we not doubt and how do we believe? How is it that we, we move to this? Hear this incredible thing that they saw that happened the day before with Jesus <clears throat> just up ending the money changers and, and driving out the animals and, and everything that's taken place. And then he teaches the rest of the day, which isn't recorded, how I wish it was. 
Now, he says, have faith in God. Just as he is saying to the mountain, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. Up, out, into the sea. What goes into the sea? Oh, that's where all the demons went, out of the pigs, into the sea. Oh, that's where Jesus says, if you offend a little one and cause them to sin such as these, it's better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. You kind of start to get the sense that this mountain and its relationship to the sea is an act of judgment. Have faith. And as they see it, you know, very shortly, they're going to be walking by. And Jesus says, you see this? In three days, I will rebuild this temple. In three days. And so we, we see that there's glimpses of what Jesus as the Messiah bringing the messianic kingdom of God to earth looks like. And it looks like it's out with the old and it's in with the new. It's no longer going to be come and get your money changed, come and and bring your sacrifice and nine times out of ten if it's somebody, if, if it's a sacrifice you brought from your stock at home, odds are it's not going to be pure enough so you're going to have to buy one of the temple sacrifices. And he says, those days are gone because now Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the one that now brings the presence of God. It's no longer going to be having to come to the temple. It's going to be now I have ushered in the kingdom of God and it's by faith in me that nearness to God takes place. It's by faith in me that forgiveness of sins take place. It's by faith in me that you have an understanding of how much God loves you. So how do we believe? Well, it's not the size of our faith. It can just be a little mustard seed faith. And I, I think there's been so many teachings that we get, we get so confused in the church because we think that I've got to get on an exercise program so that I can increase my faith and build up my faith muscles and, and really have great faith. Having faith is not about what you're doing. It's about where you're placing your little mustard seed, faith. Is it in your ability to figure things out? Is it in your ability to problem solve? Is it in your ability to figure out the solutions that need to take place? Or do you take that little bitty mustard seed and place it in God? Place it in the Lord. The whole thing of having faith is not where but it's who. Who is your faith in? So many times as as I'm doing counseling and discipleship, I find that we come to, to the foundation of God's love and his grace and his mercy, and we receive him, and he forgives us our sins, and then we get on the foundation of works. We get on the foundation of performance. We get on the foundation of what I need to do so that I will have more faith. 
do you realize most of the time our faith develops usually under pressure usually when you can't do anything about it all you can do is just take your little mustard seed and put it in God's hands and say help and all of a sudden he comes through and guess what you just placed your faith you just believed that God would now <clears throat> for me one of the pictures of, of the determination of us trying to work up more faith <clears throat> more faith and belief could, couldn't be better expressed than in the Wizard of Oz with the lion and he sits there and he's standing and he's holding his tail and he's saying I do believe, I do believe, I do believe I do believe, I do believe, I do believe I do believe and, and he's agonizing, he's fearful, he's scared. And all of a sudden the wizard speaks and he takes off running and jumps through the window. It's like, we don't get more faith because we, we kind of muster it up. We get more faith because we take what we have and we just put it in him. And when we put it in him, it grows, it develops, and we start to see how this thing works. It doesn't work like anything else on the human system that we have where we raise ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we become something. No, it's childlike. I believe my father's good. I place my faith in him. And faith begins to develop. So Jesus is talking. How does it happen? It's no mistake that he puts it right there. And he says, therefore, I tell you, pray. How does faith, how does believing increase? It's by relationship. It's by spending time with him. It's by getting to know him, the face-to-face -face encounter that, that came out through worship today. As we do that, we get to know him. <clears throat> so therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, mm, mm, belief is tied to prayer. Faith is tied to belief. Believe and don't doubt. Believe. Take your mustard seed, put it in God. Therefore, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. Once again, believe's right there again. That you have received it, and it will be yours. Do you realize the radical thing that Jesus is doing right here? The, the thing that was the object of every Israelite, their, their security and everything was the temple. It was the place where they would go and worship God. That was the place. And as he shifts all of that, and he introduces the radical nature of the kingdom of God, it's shaking them at the foundation. What all does this mean? How, how do we do this? It's, it's not, I'm gonna figure out how to manipulate God. Okay, this is what I want. 
And so I'm going to pray and say, Lord, I believe this. And he says, if you believe it, you don't doubt, it'll be yours. Now this is an interesting promise right here that I've seen misused, but you can't get away from what it says. What it says is 100% absolutely true. But what is it that you believe? Your belief has come out of your relationship with Jesus, out of your relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Out of that relationship now comes the things that you desire and that you believe and that you want. So it's not the pink Cadillac type of thing. But sometimes I think because God is showing the radical nature of taking away the temple and establishing that now we are the temple and it's our faith in Jesus that brings our intimacy with God. It's like it's so radical. He says, here's, here's the thing. Pray. Why? Because he knows prayer is going to put us in the presence of the Lord. It's going to put us in a location where we can develop a relationship, a, a, a more clear understanding of the relationship that we have with, with Jesus. And as we do that, we connect. And then we believe. And we ask. Has anybody ever asked for something that just doesn't really amount to a whole lot as far as earth-shaking, world-changing type of stuff? And you just said, Lord, I need, I want, Lord, would you give blank? And he did it. And he did it. Have you ever done that and he didn't do it? Lord, I want a pink Cadillac. And he didn't do it. And then we invert this thing and reverse it and say, oh, I didn't get it because I didn't believe. So now I gotta work on my belief. If I wanna get what I want, I gotta work on how I believe because somehow how I believe is what makes God move the way I want him to. Is this a subtle twisting of what happens in our hearts? But the reality is as we spend time in prayer, we find that our heart gets aligned with his heart. And then we know what things to even ask. We know what it is that we're to believe him for. And sometimes what we're to believe him for is way bigger than a pink Cadillac. It is way more than we could ever possibly believe is even possible. But when we begin, as a result of spending time with him in prayer, begin to ask and believe, this is something you can take. This is a promise that you can stand on. This is a truth. It's not something that we humanly use to manipulate him. It's a reality in the kingdom that when we come and align ourselves with him and out of that alignment and that fellowship and that intimacy with him, the things that come up that he births within us to ask for. Believe that you receive it and you'll have it. 
Patience is good. <laughs> we ask for patience, so give us opportunities to discover that we need patience and uh, for him to come through with showing us the patience. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I, I had that experience just the other day in a line taking uh, something back to the East Washington Street Walmart. And if you've ever been in the customer service line at East the Cumberland Walmart, it's just like, oh, Jesus. And it was a zoo, and I just, the presence of the Lord was there, and I just said, Lord, I, I, I just receive your peace and your patience, knowing that I'm really under no time constraints, so there's no reason for me to act like I normally act in my hurry sickness, which Debbie has diagnosed me that I have hurry sickness. And uh, so I, I just sit there, and it was the most peaceful thing. Just had time, engaged conversation with a couple of folks, and all of a sudden, the head person over customer service returns, she says, let me take you over here at the register. And so I left the customer service area, went to a checkout register, and she took care of everything in split seconds. So patience, he will answer that prayer because he wants us to learn how to trust and, and be with him. Faith is tied to belief, and belief is tied to prayer. And prayer is foundational upon what we believe then he says, and when you stand praying, it's not if you stand praying, it's when you stand praying. He believes that his disciples are going to pray. And so now he brings in another dimension that is just so important in this whole faith, this whole belief, this whole not doubting. He says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive. Forgive him. And so forgiveness becomes foundational. Foundational in all of this stuff. You know, we ask, we believe, we try to believe like the lion, and, and we're wanting to believe, we're wanting to believe, and we're wanting to believe. But if we're holding on to unforgiveness, it's done something to our relationship with Jesus our relationship with the Father, our relationship with the Spirit. Unforgiveness is one of the, the most deadliest things that as believers we have in our lives. It says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Hmm. Now we know that sin is important to be dealt with, because it has a way of bringing separation with the Lord. However, I came across this Dominican priest who said, sin does not change how God views us. Sin does not change how God views us. Sin changes how we view God's view of us. Hmm. And so, if we're unforgiving, 
there's a sense in which there's a, there's a breach and we need that connection because anybody need forgiven? Need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And as we forgive, when, when we stand in prayer and the Holy Spirit brings to our memory a situation that we need to forgive, wow. We are now in a position to forgive that person and in doing so, we receive all the forgiveness that our hearts need. It secures us. Because when you come into the Lord's presence and your sins have been forgiven, guess what? You're like a child and a kid in a candy store. You're, you're with Papa. You're, you're with your best, most loving caregiver ever. And so you can just really, really enjoy being in his presence. Forgiveness, absolutely crucial. And sometimes when we're asking and we're asking and we're believing, if we'll be in his presence, is there a reason, Lord, why this request is not being answered? He may start to bring awareness of forgiveness. Yeah, I need to forgive. So much so that in a group that I'm working with, I, I just encourage our, our little class to start a journal of forgiveness, a forgiveness journal. Get some form of, whether it's electronic or whether it's hard copy, start a forgiveness journal. And just say, Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive today? Have you ever been ignorant that you've offended someone? I had an event last Tuesday. We're in group, group of leaders. A guy that was a part of my church like 20 some years ago. He was there, I was his pastor, we did a little counseling and I found out that in a counseling session, I've done something that he has perceived to be uh, uh, mimicking him. And uh, it's kind of out of my normal way of counseling, but that's, that, that was his recollection. And it had worn on him for 20 years. Anytime I would come into the room, he felt nothing but despising. He could not stand it when I came into the room. And, and, and he confessed it presence of God was so prevalent that there was a grace to, to and he got free of that and we were able and I said Lord you know, I, I, I said I am so sorry brother please forgive me I, I don't recall the, the event that you're talking about but believe me I've done things and hurt people that I didn't even know of and we had a, an embrace and he was free of 20 years of this that he has carried in his life Folks, don't underestimate. That's why, don't trust your memory. Ask the Holy Spirit to say, is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anyone that I, it's not even on my radar anymore. It could be something that has been buried in in, in history. It could be repressed in our memories. But is there anyone that I need to forgive? If we're serious about walking in this kingdom life, 
I think we need to have a forgiveness journal. I think a forgiveness journal is in order for every one of us so that we can say, Lord, is there any forgiveness? I've got a devotional in, in the nighttime devotional. It's called Lexio 365. And as I, as I go through it, they always have a, a, a thing there that says, Lord, is there any way in which I've sinned today? Whether in thought, deed, word, Lord, show me. And then you confess, Lord, forgive me. It's a great way to go to bed. When you have confessed everything that the Holy Spirit has brought up, you can go to bed and put your head on the pillow and sleep. As usual, I always picture, as I put my head on the pillow, I picture Father God coming and putting the blanket of his affection over me, tucking me in, I give him full access to my heart to take out anything that needs to be taken out, where my wires have gotten crisscrossed, rewire what needs to be rewired, remove agreements that I've made with the kingdom of darkness, remove any strongholds that have been developing, and I put my head on the pillow and go to sleep. Now at that point, Holy Spirit is absolutely in position to do whatever he wants. Sometimes he takes me places in my dreams. Sometimes he brings revelation to me through the night. Sometimes I just wake up and feel refreshed and at peace. I'm just thinking, oh. And I know I'm exhorting, but right now this is one of my my soapboxes that I love to get on. Your sleep is sacred. And do not let the enemy mess with your sleep. If you're having trouble sleeping, if there's anything about what's going on in your life and you're having trouble, start with your forgiveness journal, move through that, but get jealous about your sleep. Don't let him rob your sleep because that's the time that he does amazing things in our lives as we open our hearts to him. Have I finished? Hmm. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven, who is in heaven, forgive you your sins. Forgive your sins. Being an English Bible nerd, there is two negatives. Earlier in this passage, he says, if you believe and not doubt, and here it's, if you don't forgive. If, you, if there's no forgiveness, a negative, you won't be forgiven. You know, and that, that's found in Matthew chapter 18. Some of the oldest texts don't have verse 26 in Mark 11, but we find that the, the, the truth that is expressed here is the same truth that's expressed in Matthew 18.35, that if, if we don't forgive our brother from our heart, we're, we're left in the prison of unforgiveness. So Father, thank you for today. As we get ready for communion, this is a good time to just, we just pause and say, Lord, would you bring awareness of anyone that that we need to forgive? Anyone who owes us, anyone who's offended us, anyone who's wronged us, Would you bring it to our attention so that we can forgive? 
And Lord, if we've wronged and offended and harmed another, bring that to our awareness so that we can make that right and ask for forgiveness. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.